This life-changing message comes to you from Church of the Harvest. It's our prayer that this message will inspire your life and bring hope to your future. Oh, I'm so excited to be with you. And may I say once again, thank you for the honor and for the privilege of being here. I said it Friday night, and I'll say it again this morning. Um, it's not just uh, something you take lightly when a church invites you to step into their pulpit, and so I take it very seriously. Again, I want to thank Joanne, Joe, however y'all call her, I call her Joanne, uh, for putting all this together and opening the door, and I appreciate her, I appreciate her ministry, and I appreciate her friendship, so thank you all. Uh, again, this is my husband, Gene. <laughs> Uh, and I appreciate all the hard work he's done, those that have been helping us. I just want to throw out a few things about products this morning. Again, I've said it, and I'll say it again. We get nothing off of these products. Uh, they're for you to take home, continue your walk with the Lord, grow in the things of God. Uh, for those of you who need healing, or as I said the other night, you have trouble sleeping and need something to help you really rest, you can put on this CD, Words of Life for Healing. Uh, it's Pastor Kennedy teaching and speaking healing as our praise team gently plays in the background. It's a beautiful CD. Uh, also, some of you may still be wondering how to receive your healing. If you found that you're uh, hitting some stumbling blocks, you're not really sure where you may be missing the mark, you may want to try to get that one again by Dr. Kennedy. Why isn't it working? I am asked this question so many times. I've done this, I've done that, I've done the other. Why isn't it working? A great teaching on that one. Again, um, I seem to have brought everything by Dr. Kennedy this morning. Well, I guess so. We love you, Pastor. <laughs> and, uh, but anyway, this is her word for the year. Each year, Pastor takes a week, and she goes to fast and pray and seek God for the direction for the church for the year. And uh, this year, her uh, word that she came back was shock and awe. And we are only into the 1st of March, and already this year we have been shocked and put in awe by so many things that God has already implemented and put in place. I know you will be blessed by that word. Again, my teaching on faith and medicine teaches you how to take your uses to teach people all the trusting that will do you no harm, will only do you good. We use this to teach people all the time how to go through chemo and radiation and other treatments uh, without any side effects. Now, that's a pretty big statement. Um, again, pastor's books, one of my personal favorites, The Cleansing Healing Power of the Blood. I'm going to hold on to that for a moment. And then The Simplicity of Healing. I think I told you the other night that Sid Roth asked, uh, Dr. Kennedy to write this book to make healing so simple that anybody could get it. And we have already had testimonies, I think it's interesting, from his staff who have been healed just reading this book. Um, two different people headed into surgery and sat down and read the book and no longer needed surgery. So you may want to look at that one. And uh, thank you, thank you, it is good. Um, thank you, Jean. Um, I'll say a little bit more about that in a minute. Uh, the cleansing power of the blood. I'm going to just divert for a moment and tell you, um, I've said before I'm a word girl. 
You know, I eat, sleep, breathe, speak the word. And, uh, but the power of the blood to cleanse and heal and protect. I think there's not enough emphasis today on the blood. The church is not teaching the power of the blood. And so I had a situation, I told you the other night, we do not have grandchildren. Instead, we have darlings. We have five darlings. And they go now from 17 to 9. And, um, but my oldest one, Aaron, he was about 18 months old, and we were coming home. And I literally stopped at the stop sign that my house was not as far as from here to the sound booth. And the Lord spoke to me and said cover Aaron in the blood. Now, being the obedient soul that I am, I said, Lord, why would I need to do that? We're already home. <laughs> you know, all I got to do is pull in the driveway. We're there. We're home. He said, cover Aaron in the blood. So I finally got the message. I was obedient, and I pled the blood of Jesus over him. We went in the house. I went upstairs to do something, and I turned around, and the little toddler had followed me up the stairs without me knowing it. And just as he got to the landing of the stairs, he fell backwards. And I watched him tumble down the stairs. I saw his neck snap. And I knew as I took off running to the bottom of the stairs, being a nurse, that I would find either a child who was now paralyzed from the neck down, or even worse, a dead baby. And I ran down the stairs, and I picked him up, and there was absolutely nothing wrong with him, except, I love this, one bright red spot on his head. A symbol of the blood of the lamb and what it can do for us. So I invite you to read that book, The Cleansing, Healing Power of the Blood. But I would put in there Protecting Power of the Blood. I want to thank you for those of you that have been here this weekend. I pray that you've learned something. I pray that you've learned to trust Jesus as your healer. I pray you've learned that healing uh, is progressive. Even if you were here and you have not seen the manifestation of your healing, don't give up. Don't go away thinking, I did not receive anything. Because anytime the Word of God is present, then God himself is present. They are one and the same. And the word has been deposited in you. And your responsibility now is to keep saying, Lord, I thank you that the word is working mightily in me. And take authority over your body and begin to tell it, look, you will line up with the word of God. I command you to function as the heal of the Lord. And so as we've gone about this weekend, teaching principles of healing, I've given you many, many uh, testimonies of healing. I want to shift gears just a little bit this morning. We'll still be talking about healing, but I don't want it to be so much about just me, me, me. You know, that thing, uh, the little robot symbol, some of you have been maybe seen or heard that, what about me, what about me, what about me? And that's where most of us are, whether we want to admit it or not. Well, what am I going to get out of this? What is this going to mean for me? What is this going to do for me? What about me? What about me? You better listen to, sometimes to see if that's echoing in your head or not. Because we do that and we get so caught up in our own wants and our own needs that we sort of get blind to those around us. So I'm going to take us on a little journey this morning.
And I'm going to talk to us today about along the Jericho Road. And uh, I think most of you know that account, but I'm going to bring it to you in a little different perspective, I think, today. But I'm going to go back to remind us of Acts 10.38, how Jesus was anointed by God with the Holy Spirit with great power. I love this statement. He did wonderful things for others and divinely healed all who were under the tyranny of the devil, for God had anointed or empowered him. Jesus arrived from Nazareth, anointed by God with the Holy Spirit. He was ready for action. And he went through the countryside helping people, helping people, helping people. We focused on healing all weekend. But now I want to broaden the spectrum and talk about how Jesus helped people. He went about healing everyone who was beaten down by the devil. Look at your neighbor and say, the devil did it. (laughs) The devil did it. But Jesus came to rescue us from the attacks, from the influence, from the um, wiles of the devil. Jesus came to help us. All of us have been beaten down by the devil at some point in time in our lives. And if you hadn't been, let me assure you, at some point you probably will be. But he was able to do all of this again because God was with him. What does this emphasize? It says that when Jesus walked on the earth in a physical body, he was interested in the needs of people. And everywhere he went, he went about doing good because he went about doing the will of the Father. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you have seen the Father. So what does this tell us? It says, here is the embodiment of God Almighty in the man of Jesus Christ. And he goes about doing good and helping everyone he encountered who was in need. That shows us the heart of Father God. He wants good things for us. He wants to do good things for us. I love the scripture where he says, I know the thoughts and the plans I have for you. They are to do you good, not harm. And yet we make statements when there are horrendous natural disasters. We say it was an act of nature or an act of God. I personally have problems with that because I am so convinced that God is a good God and God wants good things for us. I do understand that through our own behaviors and actions, we can take ourselves out from under the protective covering of God. And therefore, we move out of his perfect will into his permissive will. I understand all of that. But I've been told all of my life that I am such a naive person. I remember in college, way back, when I was a young thing, and my roommate said to me, she said, without a doubt, you're the most naive human I've ever seen. Said, you just believe in everybody. You trust everybody. You just, you know, you're just naive, Velda. And I guess I am because I am naive enough to believe that God is a good God. All the time. Can get somebody agree with me. God is a good God all the time. And if God should allow or permit some kind of correction to come to us in our lives, I know this. The Bible says that he corrects those whom he loves. 
My brother one time was driving down a street and a little bitty, little tyke, maybe two or three years old, ran out the road in front of him. And he slammed on brakes. Thank God he did not hit that baby. But he took the baby and he was big enough to say where to, you know, my brother said, where do you live? And he pointed at a house. And my brother took this little bitty innocent tyke up to the door, knocked on the door. The mom came and my brother said, ma'am, said, you know, thank God your child is okay. Said, but he ran out in the street and I was, you know, I was so afraid I was going to hit him. But he's okay. But I brought him back in. You know what? Her answer to my brother was, huh, if you had hit him, maybe you would have learned to stay out of the street. Can you believe that? Now, God is our father. He's our parent. And he loves us. And he's not going to do things that will destroy or kill us in order to teach us. He will bring correction and redirection in our lives. But he will do it through the power and authority of his word. If we will get in there and understand, if I will stay yielded, submitted, and obedient to God, he's going to watch over me. He's going to take care of me. He is going to protect me, even when it means protecting me from myself. Can I get one amen on that one? So Jesus is going back, and he was always interacting with people. I love that about Jesus. He did not see himself as some celebrity that was to be isolated. He interacted with people. They said crowds thronged him. That means it wasn't a few people hanging around. There were so many people pressing in trying to get him that it was almost to the point of crushing him. And yet you never see Jesus say, back up, get away, don't come close to me. I'm afraid many in the church today see themselves as celebrities and movie stars. And it's all about me, all about me, all about me. Don't touch, don't come too close. Hello. And I keep thinking about, but what about Jesus? He just went out amongst the people. He went to the, where all the, you know, the sinners were. He ate dinner with them. What, pray tell, was Jesus thinking? I can tell you, Jesus was thinking there are sick, hurting, miserable, tormented people here. And I need to go amongst them so I can identify and meet their needs. Is that possibly what Jesus is calling us to today? Could it be that? So as Jesus goes about and he's operating in the grace and the empowerment of, his, of God... All of his actions were based on goodness and kindness and compassion that was a demonstration of the heart of Father God. I love that. Jesus said, the scriptures tell us again in Matthew 9, 36, seeing the people, he felt compassion for them because they were distressed and dispirited like sheep without a shepherd. You know, I don't know if you know anything about sheep or not, but they're stupid. <laughs> and without a shepherd, they're just lost and they're just wolf bait. They need a shepherd to watch over, guard, guide, and direct them. But when Jesus looked at people, he saw them like sheep without a shepherd. And I like that word, not only distressed, but they were dispirited. 
Do you know what that means? They're losing hope. They don't think they have anywhere to go. They don't think there's any way out. And so Jesus was always moved with compassion. And I've defined that this weekend for you. But I want to just expand on it a little bit. It's concern. It's care. It's kindness. Yes, it's empathy. It's an overwhelming desire to intervene and change the situation. Say change. Change Change the situation for the betterment and well-being of that individual. A desire to take away pain and suffering from another. That's Jesus. And when he looked at them and saw them as sheep without a shepherd, he was overwhelmed with compassion. His heart said, I must guard them. I must protect them. I must keep them. And so that's what he did. That's why he is the great shepherd. That is why he said, I'm the one that will lay down my life for the sheep. And he did. And he's the same. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. We must never forget that. Jesus is not an old-fashioned God that's not caught up with modern-day times. Can I just tell you that? I know we're trying to modernize the church, but in the midst of it, can we please not forget the cross of Calvary? Can we not forget the blood of the Lamb? Can we try not try to change the Word of God to make it fit into our moral ideas of today? Thank you. One amen. Thank you. But see, I'm concerned for where the church is. Where's the church? I'm talking the true church. I'm not talking about every building on a corner somewhere that calls itself church, and it's really a social club. I'm talking about the church that knows, serves, honors, and reverences God Almighty. And so this is what Jesus was trying to do. He was trying to point us in the right direction. He loved us so much that he went to the cross of Calvary. And there, when you look in Galatians 3.13, it says everyone that was hung on a tree was cursed. And Jesus took the curse of sin, sickness, disease, and death, torment. Pain, suffering, you call it, he took it all. He became a curse so we could be redeemed from the curse. And so we should be walking out our redemption, living a life that demonstrates the life of Jesus Christ in the earth today. Again, I'm going to tell you, it's not old-time religion. We've made a mistake saying that. We are in present-day religion. And we need the power and presence of God working today as it did the days that Jesus walked on the face of the earth. The days that the great apostles, the disciples of Jesus Christ, the book of Acts is called the book of Acts. Why? Because they acted. They did something with what they had. They did not just seclude themselves, isolate themselves, stay in their little group and say, my four and no more, as Dr. Kennedy says. They went out to the highways and the byways. Is that not what the Word of God says? Go ye out into all of the world, to the highways and the byways. Go find the downtrodden. Go find the sick. They're not in your living room. 
Well, maybe they are. I don't know. But, but you cannot sit in your house isolated and secluded and ignoring the needs of others. May I? And think that you are doing the works of Jesus. Sometimes you got to get out and get your hands dirty. Oh, come on now, people. Jesus got tested on this. You will be tested. I will be tested. When we go over into Matthew chapter 8, um, I'm sorry, that's, that's the wrong one. That's the leper coming and Jesus touched him. I've already talked to you about that. I want to go to Luke chapter 10 instead. Jesus taught compassion in a manner that we should be able to identify ourselves with it. And we can evaluate our compassion capacity. Have you taken time to evaluate that? Have you tried to measure your compassion for others as opposed to your self-interest? Hmm. He presented that in the story of the Good Samaritan. And I'm just going to read this to you very quickly out of the Amplified Version. A certain lawyer arose to test or tempt Jesus, saying, Teacher, what am I to do to inherit everlasting life? That is, to partake of eternal salvation. Jesus said to him, Well, what is written in the law or in the word of God? How do you read it? And he explained to the man, You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. Now, that's what the man said. And Jesus said to him, you have answered correctly. Now, do it. Do it. That's an uh-oh. Can you say uh-oh? You want me to actually do what the Word of God says to do? That's asking a bit much, don't you think? But at any rate, he said, do this and you will live. You will enjoy an active, blessed, endless life in the kingdom of God. And he determined to acquit or free or release himself of reproach. In other words, the man wasn't through. He like, oh, no, 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 no. Don't put that on me. Don't put that kind of responsibility on me, Jesus. And so he could, I can almost hear this snarly, sarcastic tone in his voice. So... Who is my neighbor? You define my neighbor, Jesus. And Jesus said, well, I'm going to tell you about a situation. I'm going to give you a, a, a little storyline here to help you understand some things. There was a man going from Jerusalem down to Jericho, and he fell amongst thieves who robbed him, stripped him of his clothes and his belongings, and beat him and went on their way unconcernedly leaving him half dead as it happened. Now, by coincidence, a certain priest was going down along that road, and when he saw him, he crossed over and passed on the other side of the road. Then came along a Levite, or we would call him a minister. Likewise, he came to the place, and he saw the man, and he too passed by on the other side. But then a certain Samaritan came along. He came down to where the man was, and when he saw him, he was moved with pity and sympathy, 
tender compassion, the, the Passion Translation calls it, tender compassion. And he went to him and he dressed his wounds, pouring on them oil and wine. And then he set him on his own beast and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And then the next day he took out two denarii, which is two days wages, and gave them to the innkeeper saying, take care of him and whatever more you spend, I myself will repay you when I return. So then Jesus asked the smart aleck young lawyer, as I would call him if I were being judgmental and critical. <laughs> he said, okay now, which of these three do you think proved himself a neighbor to him who fell amongst the thieves? And the man answered, well, the one who showed pity and mercy. And Jesus said to him, now you go and you do likewise. There are key players in this account. And I want us to look at each and every one of them because I think we will find some self-identification there. The young lawyer, you may want to know he was an expert. He wasn't a lawyer as you think of today. He was an expert in religious law. He was a scholar. He knew the word inside out, upside down. But when he came to Jesus, he came with an agenda. He came with a motive. He came to test Jesus, to challenge Jesus, because he wanted to justify his own behavior. Uh-oh. He wanted to be relieved of self-responsibility. But like it happens to many of us when we try to justify our lack of concern, our lack of compassion, our lack of kindness, our lack of interacting with others, our lack of taking action. We always have a good excuse. And if we're religious enough, we try to find some scripture to back us up a little bit anyway. Amen? But his plan backfired on him, just like my plan has backfired on me many a time. And maybe perhaps your plan has backfired on you at some point in time. Because Jesus looked at this man, knowing who he was, knowing what he knew, and he says, what is written in the word of God? Or what is written in the law? Hmm. How do you read it? That's an important question. How do you read it? Because so many people read into the word. Or they exclude the part they don't like. Come on now. We'll just skip over that piece. We won't talk about that. And so what do you say? When it, the word says, and, it's, and yet the man is still challenging Jesus. Who is my neighbor. How many of us are still challenging Jesus? I know you call me to do, but. Listen, that doesn't mean go stand behind a pulpit. Maybe he's calling you into some other arena. I don't know. Maybe, maybe he wants you to be a good plumber. You know, we're in deep trouble without plumbers sometimes. Or an electrician or a nurse. How about a veterinarian? How about just a kind neighbor that will reach out and tell? Most of us nowadays don't even know our neighbors. Where we live, we've lived there too long, 15 years in this house, and we know about three people on our street. You know why? Because they all stay inside with the door shut, the blinds drawn. 
Nobody seems to want to interact with anybody unless it's in their social group. We had a friend one time. I have a best friend. Her name is Teresa, and, and she's a nurse. I'm a nurse, and we've always said together we make one great nurse. Because <laughs> what Teresa likes, I don't want any part of. What I like, Teresa don't want any part of. So you glue us together, and you got yourself a good nurse. But we had another neighbor, and every year we had all kind of events that we did together in the neighborhood with our children and parties and all kind of things and big Christmas events and everything. And then one year, uh, Janine had this big Christmas event or something. I don't know what she had, a tea. She had something going on anyway. And we weren't invited. And so my friend Teresa Y'all think I'm bold. You ought to meet Teresa. Mercy's sake. I said we're counterparts to each other. I'm the sweet one. But, <laughs> but anyway, she ran into Janine one day and she said, hey, what's up? I heard you had this party and we weren't invited. Is, is something wrong? And Janine, who's just so, so sweet and so prim and proper, she's from Charleston, South Carolina. She's a wonderful southern lady. And she said, oh, my dear, we just aren't in the same social circles. We're like we've been in the same social circles since we all moved in this neighborhood. What happened? But too many of us are still caught up with they don't go to my church. Why should I care? They're not of the same denomination I am. What difference does it make to me? They're not in my same social strata. Too bad for them and good for me. Hello. You know, you ever heard of the up and outs? We talk about the down and outs. Those that are impoverished and lacking and hurting. But what about the rich people that are so rich they can't even have a friend because they don't know if they like them or want their money? What about they're too big and too powerful and too influential to be able to admit, I serve Jesus Christ? Have you ever thought about the ups and outs? Have you ever tried to reach out to them, go to them, minister to them in their time of need? They're some of the loneliest people in the world. I'm, not, I'm going to run out of time if I keep talking because if I weren't, I'd say, what about all these Hollywood stars? Come on. You know what their problem is? They live in a fantasy world. They can't deal with real life. That's why they have multiple marriages and affairs and, and they are committing suicide and they're doing this and they're running from this and looking for that and hoping for acceptance over here. Saying stupid things. Come on. They are up and out. Somebody needs to tell them about Jesus, and bring them into the reality of his love, his mercy, and his acceptance. So, hallelujah, I got that off my chest, and I can move on. So let's talk about the man in the ditch, as I like to call him. Here he is, beaten, robbed, stripped, and left for dead. Now, he was on this road to Jericho, from Jerusalem to Jericho. That road's about 21 miles long. It's called the way of blood. It was extremely dangerous. It, uh, it descended down about 3,300 feet. Rugged, jagged areas, well adapted. It is estimated about 12,000 thieves camped out along that road. I want to know why you didn't go a different way is my answer. But hello, I guess if that's the road, that's the road, right? So... 
But Jesus doesn't tell us who this man is. He doesn't tell us he's a Jew or a Gentile. But we can probably assume he was a Jew. So when the priest comes by, let's remember a few things about the priesthood. In the biblical times, the priests were the ones who were responsible for the medical care and well-being of the community. Uh-oh, something wrong here. And particularly now, if this man is a Jew, the priest has an obligation to attend to him, take care of him. But he doesn't do it. He crosses over to the other side of the road to avoid the man. I would have to ask you, as I have to ask myself, how many times have I crossed the road to avoid what might be an unpleasant situation or something I think I don't want to get involved in. We all do it. We all do it. So why? Why would the priest, when this is what he was trained for, this was his calling, why? Was it fear? Did he think, oh my, the thieves may come back? Well, they're all over everywhere. So I don't count that a legitimate reason. Okay, I think his problem was legalism. Too many people are caught up in legalism. See, if he was on duty, he had to stay ceremonially clean, and the priests were never allowed to touch a dead body. Well, okay, but we got a couple of problems there. He didn't even check to see if the man was dead or alive. So that sort of does away with his excuse, does it not? But he was also on the road, come on, on the way to Jericho. So he was not on duty. Therefore, the priestly restrictions did not apply. See, the priest didn't stay on duty all the time. They swapped out times of serving. Amen? It'd be like Pastor Rob here is teaching today, and something comes up, and Pastor Bob says, well, I can't go over there and get involved. <laughs> I'm preaching. Uh, no, you're not. Or vice versa. Pastor Bob's preaching and teaching. Something comes up. And, you know, Rob says, I can't get involved in that. I got to be here. I may have to preach or teach or, you know, <clears throat> I'm the pastor. <laughs> Come on. See, it, it starts getting tough when you bring it down to everyday life, doesn't it? And we start looking, having to look at ourselves. So the priest just goes on about his way. And had he chosen even to break the law because he was showing kindness and compassion, the Lord would have honored his service, I believe. Then comes the Levite. The Levite is what we would call the ministers. They were assistants to the priests. But listen to what their job was. They were responsible for the interpretation and teaching of the word. They were to instruct others in the ways of God. In other words, they were supposed to be the everyday models. <laughs> Are we supposed to be everyday models? Do we pass by people that are sick, hurting, need to know Jesus is the healer, Jesus is the deliverer, Jesus is the savior? 
We're, look, tell your neighbor, you're supposed to be a model. Tell them. You're not telling them. I'm watching your lips. You're not talking. They may not know they're supposed to be a model. They're going, who, me? Yes, you, from the youngest to the oldest. As long as you are on this earth calling yourself Christian, Christ-like, you are being required to be a model of Jesus Christ to others. Half your church just laughed. They're like, oh, not me. I'm like, no, I'm joking. Y'all are wonderful. Y'all would never do anything like that. I'm sure of it. But see, this guy, he knew his responsibilities, but he made a decision. Don't get involved. Just don't get involved. Walk away. And he walked away and didn't even look back. I don't know about you, but I know about me. I've been guilty all the time. I'm guilty. I see people. And I'm like, I don't know what to say. What if I say something and they get mad at me? What if, what if I offer to pray for them and they go, no? Well, then they go, no. Hello. But I tried to model Jesus. You know? What if, what if I see somebody weeping and crying? And I'm like, well, I don't know what this is all about. What if it's some domestic dispute and I don't want to get involved? Does it hurt just to walk over and say, is there something I could do for you? Are you okay? But instead we go, oh, I don't want to embarrass them. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to walk by. Walk on by, as the old song used to say, just walk on by. And we're doing that every day. And so here he is, and he just walked away. They were both, priest and Levite, were responsible to help people, but they both walked away. And then comes the Samaritan. He saw the man. He saw a person. He didn't look to see if Jew or Gentile. After all, he is a Samaritan. Say that word with me. He saw somebody hurt. He saw somebody that needed help. And he determined to reach out to him. Were there still thieves along the road? Yes. Did he know if he should or should not touch this man? No. Did he really care? No. But the question comes down, what if the man was a Jew? Now what's he going to do? You have to know the history. Jews and Samaritans hated each other. For hundreds of years, they hated each other. The Jews would go miles out of their way going somewhere, not to even put their foot on Samaritan soil. Come on now. This man definitely is a Samaritan. The man could be a Jew. And yet... Despite the hostility, the animosity, the last person that should want to help a Jewish person, Jesus called this man the Good Samaritan. Do you understand that's an oxymoron? <laughs> According to the Jewish traditions, Good and Samaritan can't go together. Total contradiction. In their minds, there are no good Samaritans. They're just Samaritans. Yuck. But Jesus says he was good. He was kind. He was merciful. He goes to this man. 
He ministers to him. He pours in oil and wine to soothe the hurting, wounded places. He picks him up and puts him on his own donkey. What does this mean? Now the Samaritans got to walk. And he's letting somebody else have his ride. Takes him to an inn. Takes money out of his pocket. For so many people today, that's so hard to take money out of their pocket. How do I know what they're going to do with it? Come on, I'm not going to meddle. I promise I'm not. So after telling the story, Jesus looks back at the young lawyer. And he says, okay, now which of these three do you think proved himself a neighbor? To the man who fell amongst the thieves. And the lawyer, having nowhere else to turn, nothing else to say, simply said, the one who showed him pity, mercy, and compassion. And Jesus again says, go, and now do likewise. So what is the word for the church today as we're looking through this? It would be Luke 10, 37. Go and do Likewise, the Jericho Road was a real road. It was an attack area. But y'all, every day we traveled the Jericho Road. Every day we pass people that are in harm's way. We pass people that have been attacked by the true thief. Because you remember John 10.10? Jesus called him what? The thief. Only comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But I've come that they might have life and have it more abundantly. Are we not supposed to be Jesus, the model, the reflection of God's heart in the earth today? And when we see those that have been attacked by the thief, are we supposed to know how to render care? Are we supposed to know how to meet their needs? Are we supposed to know how and when to intervene? Surely we must be if Jesus says we're supposed to do likewise. The Jericho Road, every day. Maybe it's the road you live on. <laughs> Maybe you should ask, who really is my neighbor here? How do I reach out to them? How do I take time to listen and respond and minister to them? How many of them are desperately ill and dying? Not just physically, mentally, and emotionally. Every day. In these present and coming days, we're going to see more and more people that are in this position. And they need the mercy and the healing power of God to draw them out of the darkness into his magnificent light and love. We need to be able to go beyond just looking at the physical or the physicality or the locality and begin to look at people spiritually, look at those that are mentally ill, the addicted, the afflicted, the impoverished, and, of course, the sick. This past year has been a heartbreaking year for us. I have a son, well, I'm sorry, we have a son who just turned 34. And this, within a year's time, 
two of his best friends took their lives. One of them, a young man who's been troubled for so long. And he deliberately overdosed and took his own life. He couldn't live with the hurt and pain of life anymore. And then just a couple of months ago, another one. Young man married to a beautiful young lady. Two beautiful daughters, a three-year-old and a one-year-old. Went over to a friend's house. Just discouraged with life. See, this is what the enemy's doing. He's attacking us to the point we almost welcome the thief to come and steal our lives. Take away the pain. Take away the hurt. Take away the discouragement. I don't want to live like this anymore. But this young man, even though we almost raised him in our houses, we taught him, we showed him the love of God, we gave him the word, but it wasn't enough when they grew up and moved out and moved on and no one came in to fill the gap. Nobody recognized the signs. Nobody knew what to do. And this young man sitting within three feet of another friend took a gun very quickly and put it to his head and killed himself. Y'all, it's happening every day. Look at the suicide rate in our nation, particularly amongst our young people. It's heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking. We have a sick and dying world, literally, that the church must be willing to walk the Jericho Road. We cannot just sit in our beautiful buildings and our comfortable seats and say, this is enough. I go to church on Sunday. I'm a, good poor, I'm a good person. What about the other six days of the week? What about in your workplace? That one coworker that just irritates the stew out of you. I'm serious. Have you stopped to start? Thinking about me, what about me, what about me? And start saying, God, what about them? Why are this, they this way? Is it like a horse with a burr under its saddle? Is there something there just irritating, agitating, and eating away at this person that makes them who and what they are? I don't want to get involved. Mm -mm. Oh, even if I tried, they would just, you know, blow me off. They wouldn't listen to me. How do you know until you try? Come on. This isn't a happy, yay, yay, let's jump up and down and shout word today. And I apologize for that. But that's my job is to help grow up the church and make us recognize we have responsibilities as Christians. How are we going to do this in this time and season? 1 Peter 2.9 says, you, look at your neighbor and she said, you, you. you. Oh, y'all didn't say that with much, true. you know, say it. You. <laughs> I, want you. I want them to know that you are talking about them when you say you. You are a chosen generation. You're not here by accident. And I'm going to say it again. I don't care how young you are or how old you are or anywhere in between. You are a chosen generation. A royal priesthood. What? 
that you should show forth the praise of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. How many of you in here have ever thought of yourself as a priest? But you are. You are a priest to the great high priest, Jesus Christ. That's where he has positioned you. That's what he has called you. You're a priest. You're responsible for the well-being and the care of your community. That's why we have healing teams. And we don't care what religion or non-religion they are. If they call and want us to come, we go. Yes, first thing out the gate, we want to know, do you know Jesus? And if you don't, please let us introduce him to you. Because if you don't get your healing and you die, glory to God, you're going to heaven. We've snatched you from the pit of true death. And I've been on healing teams, and believe it or not, people refuse to get saved, laying in a hospital bed facing death. But you know what? I have, I'm, remember, I'm the naive one. I am so convinced of the love and mercy and compassion of God that I believe that seed we planted. And even at the last breath, God let it spring up and they cried out to Jesus. I tell everybody all the time, I can't hardly wait to get to heaven. I know we have prayed for thousands upon thousands of people. We've never even seen their faces because we have a prayer line. We're constantly on the phone praying and praying and praying, answering emails. I answer emails someday until I'm like, just like this, you know. Uh, I can't handle it. People I've never seen, people I've prayed for, people I've sent the word to. And I just know one day God's going to let me see that my work was not in vain. Because I've been taught that nothing you do for the Lord is ever in vain. You ought to get excited. I don't know about you. My time's up. Got to go. But <laughs> can I have five more minutes, please, sir? Thank you. I believe in yielding to the authority of the house. I'll try to talk real, real fast like this. But I've got where when I go in grocery stores, and every day I see more and more people who are not Christian. Does anybody get my drift? And I know they're not approachable. But they can't stop me from praying for them. And sometimes I just walk by. If they happen to have a cute little one with them, I take great advantage. Say, hi, cutie. How are you? And then I say to myself, Jesus, I claim this one for the kingdom of God. How will I ever know outside of heaven that those prayers worked? Or I can just walk by a group. They're sitting in a restaurant. And I say, Father... I claim each and every one of them for the kingdom of God. I ask for the blood of the Lamb to wash them, cleanse them, heal them, deliver them, Father. Instead, we get too judgmental. We get harsh. We become pious like the young lawyer, the priest, and the Levite. Not my problem. Yes, it is. Because you are to be modeling Jesus along this Jericho road we call life. Will we accept the challenge? In this season, we have to remember 
the requirements of the word. Love God first. Love thy neighbor second. We can't do this out of our natural senses and abilities, just our natural seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting, and even touching. But by the power of the Holy Spirit. Thank God for Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit will give us a sense of discernment. I'm going to give you these four little things. A sense of discernment to know how to minister to the needs of others. To know what the need is. Who is real and who isn't. Sometimes you have to ask yourself that. He'll give you a sense of wisdom. So you will know when and where and how to act. Don't go out here acting like some nutcase embarrassing Jesus. Seek the Holy Spirit for direction. He'll give you a sense of power, grace, and enablement to do things we don't think we can do. Glory to God. And I love this. He will give us a sense of a sound mind. What does that mean to us? It says that God has not given us a spirit of fear. But he did give us a spirit of power, love, and a sound mind so we can think like God thinks. Think God thoughts towards others. See, it's going to be necessary in these days to operate in wisdom and discernment, sound mind, biblical thinking, as you may want to call it, as we've never done before. As the world becomes darker and darker, the church must become brighter and brighter. How else will they see how to come out of the dark? If we don't shed a light upon the situation. This will require spiritual maturity for us. We've got to go beyond just thinking about our natural gifts and abilities. We've got to be walking in supernatural giftings and abilities. Grace to us by God Almighty. We've got to be walking in willingness and obedience to God's will. We must walk in love. You remember Galatians 5, 6 says that faith works by love. So we have to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. Stop, listen, seek his counsel and his directions. And recall, as Galatians 5, 22 says, that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, and faith. I'll reiterate what Jesus said. Luke 13, 34 through 35. So now I give you a new commandment. Love each other just as much as I have loved you. Whoa. For when you demonstrate the same love I have for you, by loving one another, everyone will know that you are my true follower. Isn't that awesome? We won't be fussing, fighting, bickering, offended, jealous, envious. Come on. All that will fade when we start walking in true love. Love isn't love until it reaches out to others. Love is not just a word. Love is an action. I had written this down. Actually, the Lord gave me this word back in 2014. And I've carried it around with me. I hope it will help you today to bring this to a close. There is coming a day when once again people will be hungry for God. Who will feed them? 
A time when people will long for a touch from God. Who will stretch out their hand and touch them? A time when people will die for the need of a healer. Who will go and lay hands upon the sick and heal them? Who will step into the ditches of life and show forth the mercy, grace, compassion, and love of Christ Jesus? Will you say, here I am, Lord. Send me. Shakespeare said, all the world is a stage. And all the men and women merely players, they have their exits and their entrances. I'll leave you with this. What part will you play on the great stage of life? Will you enter and exit, having made a difference for the kingdom of God? So as Jesus said, I will say to you now, go ye into all the world. Go. Walk the Jericho Road of Life. Look and see who needs Jesus. Amen? Amen. Amen. Glory to God. That helps somebody today. Thank you. We're living in serious times. And I want you to know that I'm well aware of that. But God needs us more than ever. With the pastor's permission, I'm going to make a little change here, okay? Rather than praying for healing right now, y'all know how to do that. I hope and pray that somebody's heart has been stirred this weekend. I hope that somebody here has found a new passion and a new desire to serve Jesus with all your heart, all your mind, and all your might. I'm asking today... Well, first and foremost, because I don't know if y'all have visitors. I don't know who's here. But if you've never accepted Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, would you please allow us today to introduce you to the lover of your soul? Why don't everybody just bow their heads for a moment? If you're here and you've never committed your life to Jesus, you've never accepted him as personal Lord and Savior, or if you're just not even sure of your salvation, would you just lift your hand that we could pray for you today? Are there any here within the sound of my voice? If you died this afternoon, if you left this building and something horrible happened to you, do you know that you would go to heaven? If you'd like to get more information about resources from Church of the Harvest, please check out our website at midsouthharvest.org. You may also contact us by phone at 662-890-1573 or toll-free at 866-383-8277.